Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello to all Visegrad Inside listeners. My name is Malik Banad, the podcast editor here at VI, and it's a pleasure to welcome you this last few remaining days of November. This week we take stock of the COP27 conference in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, and particularly bringing in the Central European perspective, the reception of the summit in retrospect from the Visegrad countries. But before we turn to a conversation between Michal Zablotsky, our climate and democracy editor, and Albin Sibera, our foresight editor, a few developments in this week's democratic security outlook on the theme of energy is wrapped around Ukraine's determination to withstand assault on its energy system. There have been long periods of power cuts across Ukraine due to Russian missile strikes. Uh, About 6 million households in various regions of Ukraine are still without access to power as we speak. The gruesome attacks have notably been condemned by President Zelensky in his address to the UN Security Council, asking once again uh, for Western support in provision of air defense systems. Meanwhile, the European Parliament passed a resolution last week recognizing the Russian Federation as a terrorist state, a state sponsor of terrorism, for committing the atrocities in Ukraine. In another separate resolution, the European Parliament also voted on an important energy bill for the modernization of the Energy Charter Treaty of the EU. Uh, The EU is a signatory of the ECT. Uh, legislation that protects investments of energy companies such as uh, the Russian Gazprom or Luke Oil companies. And a number of signatory countries have recently left this agreement, uh, including uh, Western Europeans, Western European states like France, Germany and Italy, and Central Eastern European countries like Poland and Slovenia, uh, under the reasons for ECT's in alleged incompatibility with the EU's climate goals. Now to speak more on the climate agenda, we this week have Michal taking stock of the progress and uh, reception of the COP27 agenda from Poland and Hungary, and Albin will elaborate more on the same topics but from the Slovakian and Czech view. To read more about the developments in the region, do check out our weekly foresight, intelligence delivered to you from Central Europe by Central Europe. Hello Albin, I just wanted to talk with you about uh, COP27, which just finished the United Nations Conference on uh, Climate or uh, so-called Climate uh, Summit. Was there made any progress uh, regarding the Paris Agreement obligations of the nations? Or do you think there is nothing new actually? And how do you assess especially our Central European Visegrad group performance there? Looking at COP27 in uh, retrospect, I think the pessimistic mood is prevailing, still inching closer to the climate catastrophe, uh, awaiting humanity sooner and sooner. Although it has to be said that there was a historical deal struck to assist. Uh, countries from from global south so it it has to be noted that uh, some progress has has been made although it seems to me that the scientific consensus of, of on on global warming warming is not getting uh, is, is is not being addressed properly when this is i think especially apparent when we when we look at uh, central european countries where i think um, generally 
in terms of uh, public, I think we've seen a lot of improvements. When I look at my home country, Czechia, it's only a couple of years ago has been repeatedly pointed out as one of the most climate-skeptic nations inside the EU. And I think some of the latest polls are showing that this is, this is changing. This is changing quickly. I think uh, one of the polls released just uh, during the COP27 shows that actually concerns, environmental concerns and climate concerns are the topic that actually connects electorate both from ruling parties and opposition parties. That is the most important topic connecting the electorate across the political spectrum in Czechia, which I think is a really interesting point. And, um, and, uh, and I think uh, at the same time that uh, Czechia is still uh, not doing, by far not doing enough to address these concerns. And we are still seeing a lot of climate skepticism in the public, uh, in media, as well as among the, the politicians in Czechia. And I'll give you a quick example uh, from, from, from Czechia. Uh, as the COP27 was culminating, there was also, it coincided with the um, 1989 uh, Revolu Revolution anniversary on November 17. And this week was marked by uh, student protests who uh, took to the faculty buildings uh, at major universities in Czechia, including Prague and Brno, Radec Králov and Ustin Ablaben, and they occupied the, the, the faculty premises for a couple of days until leading up to the uh, November 17th anniversary. And then they marched uh, through Prague. In a clear allusion to the student protest of 1989 actually originating in environmental protests uh, from, from, from back then. And what struck me as especially interesting is, is the negative reaction that was seen across social media and from 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 conservative media who who also happen to be owned by energy magnates in the in the in the Czech Republic, most notably by uh, the Czech News Center, which is whose major the shareholder shareholder also Daniel Kretinsky also happens to be the major the shareholder of EPH, which is the largest energy company in Czechia, and also uh, a shareholder in a, a key shareholder in the in the largest energy company in Slovakia, uh, Slovenska Elektrárna. And if you take a look a bit uh, more broadly at the whole region. Do you think, is there any progress during COP? Uh, for example, a group of the uh, NGOs uh, created the Climate Change Performance Index, which is actually assessing the progress of the goals, uh, how we are reaching the goals of the uh, Paris Agreement pledges. And if we are on the track toward the keeping the, the global warming well under 1.5 Celsius, uh, which is actually not happening, but we'll discuss later. What do you think? How is Slovakia performing? And then we'll discuss also Poland and Hungary on the topic. Well, well obviously, the countries are, are, are not meeting the target levels. But if we're looking at it uh, regionally, I think uh, what gives me some 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 positive res response or or let's say positive feeling is 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 Slovakia actually in in, in fact, which uh, I think has in recent years been 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 uh, been trying to address the climate reality perhaps most flexibly from from all all, all the four countries. Or what would you say, Michal? I, I would agree with that. It's not only their performance and their I would say their 
uh, energy mix developments uh, and and then infrastructure but it's also on the it's happening also on the political level because we have uh, Zuzana Chaputova actually an environmentalist and a climate activist uh, being a president of the country and uh, she managed to address those issues in in a, in a very i would say uh, with a very open mind comparing it for example with with Poland or who has a very low performance on the on the climate goals and uh, actually the Poland is the only country which didn't propose or didn't set any date for the coal exit comparing it to the other countries like Czechia is uh, uh, already did it on the at the beginning of the year once uh, Fiala's government was uh, sworn in uh, Slovakia did it even early. Even Hungary had a date of uh, coal phase out uh, set initially uh, initially for 2025 with closure of Matra power plant, which would which is actually the last coal uh, fired power plant uh, in Hungary and the biggest uh, emitter of CO2 in the country. Uh, but recently, Hungary changed those plans to, uh, and it will probably prolong the the life uh, lifespan of the uh, of the Matra power plant until two thousand twenty nine, which could cause additional problems with the European uh, Union funding because it was one of the uh, climate pledges of the, the of the climate policy pledges of Hungary. So when I compare the countries on the on their performance, actually, and and I look at the. Uh, climate uh, change performance index in the central eastern europe i agree with you slovakia is the best performer here it's uh, according to the index it's on the it's in the middle of the of the assessed countries and czechia is somewhere at the lower end but poland and hungary are actually at the very very bottom of it and they are performing very well actually poland is dropping with all the discussion around the uh, uh, prolonging the existence of the coal mining in Poland and not uh, not uh, actually pledging anymore to to the climate obligations i don't see any any good coming of it and this is also coinciding with cop 27 because actually apart i think uh, slovak and czech de delegations first i haven't noticed any any special actions regarding the Hungary, Hungary on uh, on the summit on the climate summit, and the other thing is that Poland wanted to use it to address the energy crisis in Europe, which is actually another topic, and it's not the global topic. It's not the it's not the topic of helping the vulnerable nations uh, who are actually suffering because of the climate crisis. But uh, it wanted to be used by Poland as as a solution to its own energy problems. How do you see it? Uh, was it? Uh, did you notice this, or uh, do you think any other countries did a similar move? Be because so from I my perspective, it's a total total misunderstanding of the Polish uh, governments. Or sorry, the, the Polish government was actually not present because the, the, that was the there was the presidential delegation in in Sharm uh, Take. Uh, but uh, it seemed like again mixing the energy problems with uh, with uh, climate problems, and it happens think, for ages. Like like those people don't learn anything. I think the problem in the in the uh, Visegrad four countries, which we are largely talking about here, is that there is an existing 
composition of the energy market, which includes energy producers and energy traders. And the biggest obstacle is actually how to transform the composition of this energy market in terms of ownership and in terms of those who benefit from it. I mean, if, if we just look at uh, the, the, the access to the energy grid, or, or if, if we, if we uh, um, look at the way some of these companies, as that we were mentioning earlier, have a backing in, 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 the, in, in the media environment. I think what it really comes down to realistically is we will either see these companies transform themselves, which will involve them transform their business activities from fossil-oriented production, energy production, to a more climate-friendly energy production. And uh, this is actually what is in a way making me pessimistic because ideally this this should be the it should be the the, the governments in these countries that are that are uh, uh, pushing forth of this with their with their policies. But realistically speaking, it seems to me that the power of these companies in uh, and especially uh, in terms of in terms of their uh, energy production or or, or, the, or the grip they have on the on the energy market and and on on, on the media is 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 realistically speaking the thing that needs to be addressed. Uh, this is a very good point, actually, because it shows that, again, the private companies are abusing the system. They will get additional income. And sooner or later, the governments will have to cover it from their own purse. So it's like taking over. I, I mean, the, the private companies are taking over the citizens' funds and don't want to share in the change. They, they don't want to participate in the change. So this is this is a scary c conclusion, I would say. This is a scary observation for, for me. It is scary for me too, but I think I'm, I'm continuously seeing signs of it. The, the, the latest that, that I would mention here is, is uh, what happened to the uh, energy community bill in Czechia, which has been uh, worked on for, for, for a couple of weeks and which I think has been a, a very promising. And... Uh, a timely ad address of Czechia's needs, not only in terms of energy transformation, in terms of um, um, being more climate oriented, but also in terms of security. Because Czechia, just like Slovakia, the, 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 we were speaking or Hungary, we we're speaking of countries that are predominantly dependent on uh, on Russian energy, and uh, it's it's these things such as the the energy community bill, which could offer uh, a, a very quick and uh, and a uh, um, effective response. It wouldn't obviously remove the dependency overall, but it would quickly uh, be able to uh, decrease it. It would be able to provide towns, villages, or or um, or um, quarters inside cities with their own sustainable resources. And it, and, and exactly, seeing... we, we just see it in in Ukraine where energy communities are saving the institutions, hospitals, and people from the blackout. So. This, it's working in the times of crisis and in the times of war. Yes, and that, that is why it seems to me all the more baffling why why we don't we don't we are not seeing this in our own countries in Central Europe, which have the luxury of 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 being able to prepare for a situation which we all don't want to, but which is uh, quite unfortunately realistic when we look at what's happening in Ukraine. And the last conclusion. In your opinion, COP27, was it a success or it missed the actual target? Unfortunately, I think it's, 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 it's missing the actual target. But I still want to praise the, the agreement that we've mentioned at the beginning of our, of our uh, talk today. <laughs> if you have something more positive to say, please go ahead. 
I would say I, I'm happy that uh, we finally have the loss and damage fund for the vulnerable nations, but still uh, we are in the middle of discussing how it's going to work.